I think that you've said a lot of amazing stuff for the past two years. I think what you just said right there actually might be one of the most valuable rants in terms of just money that you've ever said. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. What's up? It's me, Sean, and Sam, the Vanilla Gorilla. All right, we have a good episode today. Sean just said he thought this was an amazing episode. We talked about a lot of different stuff. You have a list. What did we talk about? We talked about uh, the surprisingly big business of greeting cards and e-cards. We talked about the crazy Chick-fil-A tech stack and some ideas around that and creating a consulting company around that. We talked about this crazy FBI takedown where the FBI basically tricked thousands and thousands of criminals with a, a pretty genius app. Um, what else? You, you did a good bump boxes breakdown and a bump box of a guy who's built a business that sells uh, subscription boxes to pregnant women and, and, and uh, their, their, their babies. And it's like $40 million a year. The babies don't buy it. They, they might, but it's meant for the babies. Right. Um, that does $40 million a year in sales. And we talked about how this article that came out about rich people not paying taxes. Well, we talked about how they actually get money to live, which was kind of mind blowing to me. And, and then we uh, talked about one of my favorite childhood actors and childhood movies, how that act, young child actor has become a crypto billionaire. And then I got excited saying he's the Billy of the Week. But that's all to come in this episode. And do me a favor. Go to your Spotify. Go to your iTunes. There's a button that says subscribe or follow. Follow if you're on Spotify. Subscribe, iTunes. Click that button. Because when you click that, we go up in the charts. When we go up in the charts. We get more listeners. And we get more listeners. We can record more stuff. Please do that. Thank you and have a good episode. Well, first, happy birthday. You yeah. are, uh, you're what, 31? 32. 32 now. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, good. I was feeling bad. I'm 33 and you're always like, yeah, we're basically the same age. We're both 30, 31. Well, I do it to slight you. I do it as a joke because <laughs> you're only a year older than me, but I want to make it clear that you're older than me still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in my head, I, I immediately stop listening to everything else you say and I just start thinking in my head fuck, I'm older than Sam. And then I have to be like, what does that matter? Who cares? And then I get back and I don't even know what's going on. Yeah, Dan, I you're 35. Okay, great. I do uh, it. Piss Dan you will off. feel even worse now. Um, my, my trainer, by the way, he's at a 40, 41, something like that. And it uh, looks great. looks like he's 25. And anytime someone's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. You know, once they find out his age or whatever, he, he's just like, um, he, he's like, I'm living to 105 and he's constantly watching videos of people who are, like 105, but healthy or like a hundred. And they have like, you know, they're still like madly in love with their husband or wife. And he's just constantly watching these videos, these outlier examples to be like, that's me. I'm going to have that life. Do you care about living till you're like really old? Yeah. Well, I tell everyone 130. I 130? say, okay, gonna, great. I say I'm going to be 130, but I'm going to, I'm going to act like a current 70 year old. <laughs> so like my, like right. the 70 year olds now, that's what I'm going to be when I'm 130. Okay. And why 130? Where did that number from? Pull I just think that's a nice, ambitious, but realistic number. I think that... So I went out with this guy the other day, and he is a... Um, a date? He, no, I'll, I'll name drop. You I'll kind of name drop. I went out with Lance Armstrong. I got dinner with Lance oh, Armstrong. Dude, you weren't going to say that? You were just going to say, I went out with this guy the other day? Yeah, well, yeah. Amazing. Just, I, 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 I had, the reason I'm saying that is like it come from a reputable source. Uh, and he had this uh, guy who worked at Adidas and Nike with them, this like huge rip guy who was like, he's probably 55 or so. And he was telling me that there's a direct correlation between lean muscle mass and age. So like right. uh, longevity. So the people who have more muscle at an older age are more likely to live longer. And so that was like a realization to me. So uh, anyway, that was... So, uh, so two for one, you get to be jacked now and live forever. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Um, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, living old. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. But I, but I, so we just did this little thing. Let's get back into it. I got a card, an email from my aunt, my aunt Debbie, who's in her 50s, called 
I forget what it was called, but it was American Greetings was the name of the company or the main. I, I, whenever I get like one of these things, I scroll straight to the bottom and it says like the name of the brand, but then it says like copyright American Greetings. Right. Company. The, the like terms and conditions part. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, that's the good stuff. So I always like Wikipedia. Um, and it was this company, it's a greeting card company that does close. Wait, can I pause you one second? That thing you just said, that this podcast has like rewired my brain where that's all I do now. I'm like, Oh, cool. This thing is in my life. Who's behind this? How much do they make? What's the company? What's the backstory? Is there an epic founder behind this? I was at the dentist and he's showing me an x-ray of my teeth yesterday. And instead of looking at the, he's like pointing out something in my teeth. He's like, oh, yeah, like, this oh, is that, good. Who makes that I'm, machine? I'm looking at the name of the software in the top left corner. It's like VM, you know, VM imaging. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, can you hand me my phone real quick? I need to just, I need, <laughs> I need to write this down. I'm gonna go look up this company. I bet it makes like billions of dollars doing this X-ray software for dentist's office. Or like, he was like scraping my tooth with some tool, and I was just thinking, why isn't there like better device? This is the same scraper they've been using since like I was ten. Uh, who, if every dentist is buying these things, these things can't cost. They have to cost a lot of money. Who's what's the company that makes these little devices? And are they innovating? Why not? You know, blah blah blah. So my brain has been like. I have like this chip in my brain now that that has to get to the root source of every product I feel, which is what you Whenever did I see a when your building, aunt sent you a birthday card. <laughs> well, when I see a building, like a huge warehouse, if the, where, like if it's a massive warehouse and there's a sign on it, I always look up, what's the story of that? Right. I always do that. So yeah. Well, I, you, I, I was thinking like, you know, people are excited about AR or like when Google Glass came out and they're like, oh, it's great. You'll be able to read your email or you'll be able to like see directions, you know, like the map will be in front of your eyes. And I was like, the killer app of this is I just look at somebody and it tells me who they are. Like, I can just like, you know, like when you, you stalk someone, you, meet, you see someone interesting, you like try to look them up, you find their Instagram, you see what their life's all about. I think it's going to be amazing when we just have contacts or glasses and I could just look at you. It'll be like Sam Parr, CEO of The Hustle, blah, blah, blah. Your last two tweets next to your face floating above you. You have no idea that I just have like, you well, know, there's also interrogated you. There's also practical stuff. Me and Sarah were walking on the street the other day and Sarah saw a guy with collared shirt and she's like, I think we know that person, but I can't tell because all white guys with collared shirts look look the same to me. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so there's some practical <laughs> there's some practical implications. Dude, when I was a kid and I would use my fake ID, I had a fake ID and the guy was a white dude, but he had like a shaved head and it was like he had clearly had black hair. But if you go to the Indian <laughs> or the black stores with like a black clerk, like a different, a clerk of a different race, they all thought that like all white looks, people were the Yeah, same. looks just like you. <laughs> and so the, the joke was you have to go to a, like a person who's not white because they right. all think we look exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever do that when you're a kid? Like you go to like, you got to go to the white clerk. I, I like, didn't realize that hack, um, but that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Do you think all white people look alike? Uh, no, not all white people look alike, but definitely like, you know, John, Jeff, and uh, Jacob, you know, <laughs> I might mix them up from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I, In the I same mean, way I, that, you know, I look like, you know, Aziz Ansari to everybody, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, yeah. But we were talking about American greetings, American greetings. And the reason I'm bringing this up, huge company. And it's just crazy that this shit still exists. Um, but I guess it's not that crazy. It's funny. So j- just to explain in simple terms, they do e-cards. So you can send a digital card to somebody. $20 a year. Yeah. $20 a year membership. And uh, they do above a billion dollars in revenue. They own multiple smaller brands. So they own like Jackie Lawson. Have you ever heard of Jackie Lawson, by the way? No. You should Google this name. So Jackie Lawson, go look at her website and uh, like welcome to 1982. So just, I I mean, whoever's doing the video on this, you got to pull up the Jackie Lawson website. I love Jackie Lawson. Literally. Okay. So the, the profile photo looks like, you know, some bootleg Carmen San Diego. And then it says Jackie Lawson. And then like, there's like, there's like a mouse, like a computer mouse is like, like part of the N because probably like when she invented this, it was like new to be like on the computer, sending cards to people. And, uh, this thing is incredibly popular. People love Jackie Lawson cards. She's like really well known, sold her company, I think to American greetings. And, um, I ran a company for a period of time, maybe a year or two. It's called birthdayalarm.com. That's and why I I'm bringing this up, by the way. Yeah, I didn't start this company, but the company's kind of remarkable. I'll break it down. So um, Michael and Zochi Birch uh, were the investors in my previous company. This was their first win. So Michael's a programmer at an insurance company. He's like, ah, oh, this is boring. Wants to go do a startup. He comes up with this big idea to do a self-updating address book, meaning like 
what if you had a contact list that was like dynamic? So I'm in your address book. If I ever move, I can just change my address or my my email address or whatever, and it'll automatically update in everyone's contact list, uh, you know, dynamically. So you have this idea of this. Um, he builds this this product. It's really complicated. It's not really going anywhere. But he adds one feature to the address book, which is uh, birthday. What's your birthday? And um, which is ironically the thing that doesn't change. It's not, you don't need a dynamic address book to do that. But he started sending a reminder. So like a little reminder would come out. Like I should have got a reminder yesterday that said, hey, it's Sam's birthday today. Wish him happy birthday. And um, and this was before Facebook. So this is actually an incredible, incredibly useful thing. So people used to email him being like, hey, um, thanks so much for that birthday reminder. I would have totally forgot my aunt's birthday. You know, you saved me on that one. Or, you know, I looked like husband of the year because of that birthday reminder. And um, so he's like, shit, nobody likes my thing, but they just like this one feature. So he makes that the product. So he goes, he makes it birthdayalarm.com. And all it does is it reminds you of your friends and family's birthday. And um, immediately the, the site starts to like do a little bit better, but not like not gangbusters yet. So he says, okay, well, how does this product work? I should be able to email all my fa- friends and family and say, hey, add your birthday to my, my uh, birthday alarm calendar. And, um, and then he, he, does, he the, at the time, there was no term for viral marketing. But he's like, I don't have a budget to do, you know, I quit my job to go try to make it big in the startup world. So I don't have a marketing budget. So I need one user to recruit another. So here's what I'll do. When I email all my friends and families to add their birthday to mine, and they go type in June 15th, then it'll say, do you want to save Sean's birthday in your calendar? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, tit for tat. He just asked for mine. I'll take his. And then it says, cool, your, birth- your calendar has one birthday in it. Who else's birthday do you want to know? Send this to your friends and family. So that became the viral loop. And all of a sudden, he started getting tens of thousands of members. Still a free product, but tens of thousands of users at the time to him felt like a million dollars. It was like, oh, my God, I've actually made something that's growing. And then he's like, all right, how do I make this even better? So he's just... He went all in on this virality piece. He didn't try to figure out the business model or things. He's like, how do I make this even more viral? And so he's like, well, today there's still all these steps involved. I got to type in each person's email address. I have to figure out what to write. So he starts one by one changing these pieces. He's like, oh, instead of you having to think what to write, I'll write it for you. Just copy paste this, right? Here's a copy button to copy this into your email client. And then he's like, could I just send this to their whole email address book? And at the time, nobody was really doing this. And so he wrote one of the first scrapers for Hotmail, where, he, where you could just log into your Hotmail. And he's like, great, I imported all your contacts. Just hit send and it'll send to all of them. And um, he's like, dude, this is kind of crazy. Like, he's like, for sure, Hotmail is going to shut this down in 10 days. But uh, whatever, 10 days of growth, let's do it. And so immediately he makes up next morning and there's like 100,000 members. And it just keeps growing exponentially after that. And, you know, here we are. He started that website in like 2001. So 20 years later, you could still do that thing in Hotmail and Gmail where you import your address book. They never were able to like fully shut it down. And so he's like, that hack that I thought would last 10 days lasted 20 years. Uh, And the site started growing exponentially. So now it has, you know, it's had over, I don't know, maybe 100 million members at this point. um, Put add their birthdays in. And wasn't it making like $5 million a year every single year? So at that point, it's free. Now, what happens is his buddy Morgan, um, who's like a a friend of his, sends him a link to, uh, I don't know what it was. It was either Jackie Lawson, American Greetings, Blue Mountain, one of these websites. He goes, dude, you should do Um, e-cards. I made an e-card website. You should add e-cards to this. That could be the business model. Sell birthday cards, right? Don't just remind them of the birthday. Let them wish them a happy birthday. Turns that on, immediately starts making $10,000 a day or whatever. Numbers are not exact. In fact, we re-released his episodes. You can go listen to the exacts. But basically starts making money. That business with just like pretty bare bones. So it was him working on it, his wife working on it. You know, his sister-in-law did the books. And there was like, you know, a cousin did customer support. It ran like that for a number of years and just had like kind of outsource people making e-cards. And it was making at its peak four or five million dollars a year of revenue with most of that being profit, like maybe 80% profit at that time. And it ran like that for a number of years. He used that to self-fund his next startup, a social network called Bebo. And then because he self-funded it with Birthday Alarm, when he sold Bebo for, I think, $850 million, the the husband and wife duo, they owned like 70% plus of the company because he had self-funded it using this this e-card website. And so when I went to go run his idea lab, that was still the cash cow that was paying for that fancy office you saw, all those Silicon Valley engineers. 
most of it was because Birthday Alarm was still cranking $2 million a year of, of profit, even though nobody was working on it. And there had been no updates for like multiple years at that point. And so then I took it and we tried to like turn it around and make it grow again. And so it started to grow again, um, you know, after we worked on it. But because of that, I looked into Jackie Lawson and American Greetings and Jib Jab and all these different companies. And this space is actually pretty big. Yeah, well, that's why I brought this up is I knew I would get a story out of you like that. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There's um, also one other company that somebody who listens to the podcast had told us. I'll give them a shout. Have you seen this app called Givingly? No. So it's a it's a new age version of, of this same idea. So Givingly, what they do, what they make easy is that they're like, not just good looking cards, but a gift card to like any service. So uh, like it was my trainer's birthday. I wanted to get him something. I had forgotten to give him a, a gift. And so I sent him a givingly, which was like a beautiful little e-card I made on my phone in like, you know, five minutes. And then I was able to attach like a hundred dollar DoorDash pass to it. So it's like, oh, dinner tonight's on me is what I sent him. And, um, and so it was like so easy to send a gift and a gift card. And I was like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting. And so I talked to the founders and their stats are honestly pretty impressive. People send a ton of these. And the way that they grew is a little unconventional. They grew as a Snapchat mini app, which like you kind of don't hear anyone talking about. Like, do you ever hear about Snapchat minis? No, like, I don't even know what that is. They, they released this like app platform called minis. And like, you never really hear anybody talking about it. And then when they showed me their numbers, I'm like, dude, where are you getting like hundreds of thousands of users? And they're like, oh, Snapchat, like, People on Snapchat just send little cards back and forth to each other all the time. We're the number one mini. And it's like, what? And so I went and looked in the little mini store and the, sure enough, they were like one or two uh, at the time. So I thought that was kind of in interesting and it made me think, oh, I should do a deep dive into minis and see what else is actually working here. It, that's, that's fascinating. And that's, we've talked about this like idea of like, you need distribution first. And if you have that, you have everything. And like, right. that's why I like Chrome plugins. That's why I like uh, WordPress plugins. I didn't even know about minis. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you need it first. There is definitely like a case for that. Other people would say, no, you need a product people love. And other people would say, no, you need a great team. And like the way I think about it is, is uh, this guy near Ayal, who I think also listens to podcasts, he wrote this book called Hooked. And um, oh, he's a listener. That's cool. I've, I've read that book. Yeah. And so he uh, is an awesome book. And so he, he had told me this once in my office. He goes, uh, every business is like a three legged stool. You have growth you have engagement and you have monetization, G-E-M. And he's like, uh, you know, when you start your startup, you have none. You just have like, you know, a stool with no legs. And then you need to get your first leg on there. It can be growth or it can be engagement, like a sticky product that people love. Um, he's like, a good startup will have two. And if you have two, you have a pretty good shot of figuring out the third. The problem is there's a whole bunch of people here with one-legged stools uh, trying to go raise money. And uh, I thought that was so spot on. And so then when I looked at companies, I just thought to myself, oh, do they have all three legs figured out? Two of the three I'm okay with. One of the three I'm going to wait. Dude, I dig it. I, and I completely agree with that. Um, we have like a ton of ideas here. I, I'm, I'm really excited. Can I tell you something really quick though that I learned? Yeah. So do you remember, is it called ProRepublic? What was that article that got released with rich people? I think Pro Republic was the name. It was like the billionaire taxes. I didn't read it, by the way. So don't have much That's to cool. say about You don't have to have read it. But... There, okay, so there's something going. I didn't read it either, but it's not important because it's this the general topic of of this, of like how rich people pay little taxes, and they do that by basically, and like I don't know how to bring this up without sounding like a total douche, but when you make little money, like you get access to loans that are like one point five percent or one point two or whatever it is. It's it's based off of like a lot of times yeah, the rich London, people get the most free shit, whether it's products yeah. or cheap capital or cheap anything. Yeah. Basically, like when you sign up for like a big bank, you get uh, a line of credit. Like I think it's seventy five percent of your of the amount of money you have in there uh, at like a one percent rate, or it's right. like based off the London Bond Exchange. And I was curious about this, but basically, a lot of folks like Elon and 
just most people who are wealthy or a lot of people who are wealthy, they take loans and that's what they use to live on. But in my head, I'm like, but you still got to pay that back. So how are they doing that? And I went and talked to some bankers. And do you know how this... Like, Do you know what the expectation is here? The expectation is that you actually live on those loans forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> and your estate pays it when you die. <laughs> is that crazy? Is that a crazy thing to think about? I kept yeah. thinking like, but how does the bank get their money back? And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, We expect that it's going to be an outstanding loan for like 50 years. And we're just going to keep loaning and loaning and loaning. And because then when they the, die, the we're going to take our cut. They're not trying to make their money off you, the wealthy person. They're trying to take all of your millions and millions of dollars and lend it out to other people who are going to pay higher rates. So they're like, okay, we need to lend money. Where do we get the money? Let's get the money from rich people. How do we get the money from rich people? We offer them amazing terms. Okay, then how do we make money? Well, we're going to take that money and we're going to lend it to people who don't have as much and we're going to charge them more, right? Kind of sounds screwed up when you say it, but that's the business model here, I believe. Yeah, it's just like something that I didn't understand. I feel like way, I'm just like a I'm dumb wrong, idiot. If I'm wrong, I might be wrong because I'm not a banker, nor am I a bank, nor have I thought about this stuff. It's just weird. I just thought that was weird. And that was totally like, that was one of those things where it's like, well, hello, well, that's why it's McFly, funny. this is how the world works. So I was like, I, I didn't know yeah. that. I'm just well, a country it's funny because like, you're like, oh, um, you're the CEO. How much do you make? Oh, wow. This CEO came out and said he's taking a $1 salary for the year. What a great guy. And I was like, no, obviously that, that just means he doesn't make his money off his salary. He makes it off something else. So, okay, he's getting stock. Okay, great. Wow, he's getting all the stock, stocks going up. You must pay a ton in taxes. No, no, he, he doesn't. Why is that? Well, he doesn't sell the stock. So he doesn't realize any gain. Okay, then how does he pay for like that jet? Oh, because he just like lent, he gets a big loan or line of credit off of his stock as collateral. And so wait, so he lives for free off that loan? Yeah, yeah, he does. He just has to pay, you know, 1% or 2% or 3% interest. Oh, wow, that seems pretty good. Okay, even better. Let's say he takes that money and uses it to invest. Now that interest payment is also tax deductible. So it's like, just gets like kind of crazy how the advantages sort of stack up against each other. It oh, was he, just, bought, he bought real estate. Great. Now he's going to take this huge depreciation, you know, uh, on, on the real estate he bought. And then if he sells it for a gain, he's going to 1031 exchange it into another real estate property and pay no gains. It's, it's pretty amazing. I felt like um, when I learned this, I felt like, I was sitting, like I went to a fancy dinner table th for the first time and they finally showed me like that small fork is meant for like taking crab meat out of the claw. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what that's for? Oh, well, goddamn. Right. Like, I thought that's the kid's fork. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I just thought that was the little people. I don't know what that is. But anyway, I that was like, a it just like hit me in the head. I'm like, duh. So that was uh, the, so I had a call with a tax guy, a tax strategist. Um, I'm paying for this like tax strategist because I'm like, okay, where did you figure this stuff out? <laughs> Is so it my, bro it? my brother in law had found somebody through a thing he, and he saved him a bunch of money and he was telling me about it. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So I talked to him, this guy, Jeff. And um, he's like, okay, you know, so what are, your, what are your goals here? You know, and I was like, I want to learn what the rich people do to pay less taxes and then, you know, decide or try to do some of those things if they apply to me. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And I was like, so walk me through here. Like, I, if I make this much money in a year, I'm just doing this. I'm just writing this huge tax bill, tax check, you know, every, every year. What do they do where they don't have to do that? And he was like, just kind of like amused at my line of questioning. But in the end, he was like super helpful. He really like kind of outlined all the things. And then at the end, I was like, all right, how does attorney client privilege work here? I was like, let's just say I tell you that, you know, this, uh, this part of my house, that's my home office deduction. Sometimes I nap there. And like, also I store my dog stuff there, right? Like that's unrelated to my office. Um, I said, how honest can I be with you? And he goes, you can be totally honest. And I recommend you do, but there's no attorney client privilege. I could be subpoenaed. And he goes, I'm not going to do anything wrong because I don't have to. <laughs> I go, okay, great. You basically <laughs> just need to ask for like red light, green light, yellow light. Like so where now he'll be like, he'll be like, yeah. So like, are you active or passive on that? I'm like, suppose I was active. What would the number be at the end? And then suppose I was passive and then I will give you my answer by the end of this. And he's like reading between the lines of like, oh, okay, I understand. I we I haven't even to. actually gotten into any of my stuff, but I wanted I to ask all the questions up front to him about like, uh, like I, I, I'm more fascinated with how the tax thing works. I don't even have like a very complicated setup. There's not really anything I could do because uh, I'm not like Elon. I don't have this like complicated structure and all these shares I can borrow against in that same structure. But I more am paying this guy to tell me what other rich people do. And uh, I'm fine with that. I think that's a great trade.
Do you want to talk about? You want to go? Uh, I've got one idea. So, so I, I, well, I, I'll do, give do you yours. First. You want to do mine first? I mean, I do can yours. give you the summary, and then we can get into it later. Yeah, do yours. Okay. Do you know who Paul Singh is? I never met him, but I've heard about him, and my buddy is his business partner. Great. So, Paul, uh, baby bump, bump boxes, bump box. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. So, you'll actually know more about this than I do. Yeah. So, I reached out to Paul because uh, I don't even know how I contacted him, but Paul Singh is a guy who started this thing called Five Hundred Startups. They're not really around too much anymore. Well, but he, he didn't start it, right? Did he start it? Dave uh, McClure started. I don't it. know. Yeah, maybe he didn't start it, but he was like there at the Early. beginning, and yeah. so uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if he helped start. Maybe is the right word. And he was just, he was a guy there. Um, He helped make it popular. And uh, somehow he uh, started traveling in an RV. That was his shtick. He actually left San Francisco before it's cool. He goes, I I just want to travel in an RV. And years and years and years ago, he started a hosting company, like a web hosting company. And he wouldn't talk to me about it too much because it's kind of private. But he's like, basically, I make millions of dollars a year from cash flow from that. And I invest a large amount into privately held companies, both brick and mortar and tech startups every single year. And I would travel just to meet new potential investments. And at one point, I met these folks who had this thing called Bumpbox. It wasn't very popular. And, and so it sounds like you know the people from Bumpbox, right? Yeah, I know it super well. Oh, well, then you probably know a lot more than I do. But let me tell you what I know. Yep. So he met these folks and he bought into it. Um, he didn't start it and he didn't buy it outright, but I think he yep. bought into it. So for like two or $300,000, something like that, he bought a portion. I don't know how much it was, but basically the whole shtick was, we know uh, statistically like where you should be in your pregnancy and like the, the feelings that you're going to have and the products that you're going to need. Um, and so we sell you a monthly box for $50. Well, let, um, let me simplify it, that part. I think it's more like when you get pregnant, especially for the first time, there's like all these new things happening inside your body, outside your body. You're trying to figure stuff out. And there's like a million things that you're supposed to buy and get and do, but you don't know what they are. And even if you know what they are, you don't know which product to buy because you want to buy the one that's like safe, but also effective, but also whatever. And so a lot of reading reviews, trying products. And so what Bumbox did, which is pretty genius, was they just said, look, we're going to find the best products for every phase of your pregnancy, first trimester, second trimester, third, and then post. And we're going to package it up into a subscription box. So you're just gonna, it's just going to show up on your doorstep. You don't even have to think and worry about this stuff anymore. And so Paul came in and he's like, yeah, they're doing, you guys are, uh, uh, this is okay. It's pretty good. I think we could think of just a, a tad bit bigger and we could turbocharge this. And so now their vision is basically from conception to like 18, 19, 20 years old, a mother is handling lots of different stuff. And we want to be the place that she turns to for a variety of different like needs to care for her kids. Right. And the company's pretty interesting. It's like $40 million in sales. He, his goal is to grow the company 2x every single year. And of that $40 million in revenue, 60% is from subscription boxes. And 30% is from this... 30 to 40% is this other stuff. And Paul came into this business and he goes, these boxes are great, but let's just make more and more and more stuff for this person. So let's figure out everything the mom needs and let's just make it. Right. And so now 30, 40% of their business comes from medical equipment, which I don't even know what that means. Whatever. I don't know what they sell. So um, like, I don't know if they're selling this yet. We might have to take this out. I don't know if it's out yet, but like, for example, uh, a breast pump. So when you, when, when you're breastfeeding, you, you're going to pump in between feeds or whatever and uh, insurance covers it. And so, you know, these things are expensive devices that you need, medical devices that the doctor sort of gives you that uh, you'll use for the first year or so of your pregnancy, of, of and, your afterbirth. And the other stuff they sell is they'll figure out that you want this and they're going to call you and one of their insurance agents are going to call you and say, here's the 50 best types of insurance companies that you should check out if you want to buy this breast pump or whatever. They're, it's all covered by insurance. And then they make a cut off that lead. So kind of an interesting company. Um, that I wanted to talk about. And I wanted to talk about it because a, there's a few things going on here. First, this is a guy who has made a lot of money angel investing in tech companies. And he told me, I never want to raise money. I want to own as much of this business as I can. And we could either distribute profits to ourselves and our employees, or we could sell for a fuckload of money. Um, and B, I just think that it's kind of interesting. It's not like it's, it's out of my world. I, you know, I don't have kids. I'm not a woman. Uh, it's just kind of interesting. What do you know about this? Um, so Leland, who's the, uh, the, the founder and Leland's wife, I don't remember his wife's name top of my head, but they started this thing. They're amazing. He's been so helpful to me in e-commerce. Um, he really knows his shit and just awesome guy. I think they're based in Illinois or something like that. 
and uh, you know, super, super nice in the Midwest, built this company out. Uh, it's kind of a great company. And I, I think subscription is really hard to do, but when you do it, it's fantastic. And I think they've done a pretty good job of actually, actually pulling it off. And the way he says it, he's like, we're not a box company. We're a mom acquisition machine. And yeah. uh, I'm like, that's absolutely right. And that's why they think bigger than just what, what's one product we could sell to them. Okay, box might be the first. What's the second? What's the third? What's the fourth? Because we're just going to acquire moms um, at an insane, insanely good rate and be able to offer them products that they're going to need for you know, the period of their, uh, of, of their child, you know, child care time. And I said to Paul, I go, you know, like, this is great, but you are doing a lot of stuff that I think is a bad idea, but it's a great idea. I mean, clearly you're making it work, which is you are not just staying, you're not focusing exactly. You're, you're focusing on the mother category, but you're launching loads of different stuff. And he goes, yeah, that's actually our goal. And the reason we're doing that is uh, our, our, our whole unique strategy is that we're going to move quickly. But he's like, when you think about it, a hundred years ago, at some board meeting, the guys at PE or Kellogg or whoever it is, the big conglomerates nowadays, they go, you know, like, look, we could start building, you could start selling more soap, or we could just buy all the soap and then buy all the razors and just buy everything that like you possibly use in your home and own the whole category as opposed to just focusing on this one thing. And even though tech focuses on this one thing, let's just do the opposite and say, you know, why can't we build a family of companies? And I thought that was pretty cool. It, it broke my frame. It's a little different than what I've heard um, or what I would have done. And I think it's neat to see something that's the opposite of what I like or what I yeah. what I would do. The one caveat would be, I think they did focus on getting Bumpbox's core to work for a number of years, right? This is not new. Obviously, yeah. So, so you, you buy yourself the right to try a bunch of new things by getting your core to work really, really well and get to scale. So I think they did that part. They weren't doing, I, th- I don't think, five different things before. The other thing is like, this idea is so simple. And, but when you talk to Leland, you're like, oh, you're like a badass operator. Like he's in the nitty gritty. He's like, oh yeah. And Facebook ads, I can put, I can copy paste this over here. And if I do that, it's like, it's just a little bit better. The platform doesn't even really support it, but I can do it manually this way. Or like, you know, um, They'll use a tech, you know, like they're when they're marketing to people, they're like, Yeah, we actually call. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Have you heard of like ringless voicemail? No, it's like this marketing tactic that he's like, Oh, yeah, we call our customers. I was like, Don't people hate getting calls? He's like, Oh, it's not a call, it goes straight to voicemail. I was like, What? He's like, Yeah, there's a way to call somebody that goes straight to voicemail and you leave a message. So it's a great way to like, That's instead brilliant. of staying in the email inbox and you're buried under 5,000 other emails, the person might get one or two voicemails a day and one of them can be from us. And people like hearing from us and they hear a voice of a human being talking to them. And I'm like, he's just doing a thousand of those small operational wins every year. And I'm like, oh, that's why you win because this is a simple idea that I think nine out of 10 entrepreneurs who tried this same exact idea would have failed. Same idea, same so timing. So why did he a portion of it if, if he's a powerhouse? He just needs some help? Early on, I think they needed some capital and I think they met Paul pretty impressed by him and I think he's been a good kind of like partner for them. But... You know, if you if you offered them a deal now, I don't think they would take it, right? Because he he's in a different position now than when it's just like, I mean, he started the company. Him and his wife were like, I think they were like at a conference or something like that, and they were just like walking. It was like, you know, like the parking lot or the like the water, the hot dog stands, like you know, far away because everything's inconvenient at an event. And while they were walking there, they basically like had this idea. They're like, screw it, why don't we do this? Like, let's start a business. Why don't we just go for it? And they just like kind of decided to do it, and so. You know, at that point, you're really green. You don't, you don't know anything. And then now he knows obviously a lot because he's been doing this for, I don't know, whatever, seven years or something. Have you heard of, I'm making a quick pivot. Have you heard of this thing called the Anti-Galloway Index? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a real thing. I know that a lot of people basically make fun of Scott Galloway for being absolutely wrong about all his investment advice and predictions. So there's this guy. Did someone turn it into an actual investable yes, and it's asset? crushing. No, no, no. Um, so there's this guy named Scott Galloway. Scott Galloway, I've had lunch with him. He's been nothing but nice to me, but a lot of people dislike him because he makes some crazy statements. He's um, They tease him for being real woke. He makes these predictions where he puts like the, my, the winners and losers of each year, and he makes these really bold predictions. Yeah. And a lot of people in tech and a lot of people in general make fun of him because his predictions... I mean, I'm sure some of them are right, but like a lot of them are wrong, like really wrong. Massively wrong, yeah. Like one time he said that Macy's is going to crush Amazon. And that's just an example. And some shithead who I love made a thing (laughs) called the Anti-Galloway Index. 
And if you, so basically, if you would have done the opposite of everything he said since 2019, uh, tech companies that Professor Galloway has predicted would fail have outperformed the S&P 500 by a whopping 61%. No, no, no. They've outperformed the S&P 500 and have, the return itself is 61%. <laughs> um, Sorry. You know, d- during the time. And, you know, even if you, it says, even if you exclude Tesla, which was one of his big bets that he said was fail and it took off and said, even without that one, still 23% uh, return. That's crazy, isn't it? This is hilarious. Who made this? Let's give him a shot. I don't know. I have oh, no idea. Know. Okay, that's hilarious. This is cool. Uh, yeah, let's... So, okay, here's an idea, by the way, which is... Um, is there... I think there is. There's some new products that are coming out that let anybody create a basket of stocks that's like... Like, for example, I think there's a company called Doji that's doing this, D-O-J-I. And what they do is uh, you can go... create. I can go create the Sean Index and it's five stocks that I'm investing in and you can actually put your money into my index and buy it buy those stocks and then it'll show over time how my index is performed um and i can make the tech index and i can make my like high risk high reward index or whatever that's my understanding i haven't used the product but my understanding is it's kind of like that which i think is an awesome idea by the way what do you think of that idea yeah i mean why can't you do that on um i i've mentioned them before i think it's called like bowl bowl something there's that one uh there's a one israeli robin hood a uh, competitor and they've done this. It's called Copy Trader, and you Weeble. can create Weeble. Is that what it is? Yeah. Weeble, um, and you could do this on that platform. I think it's sick. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it seems really cool. I don't know if I get some incentive by like sharing my basket, but that would be like a really cool model where essentially I get a small cut of the assets that are invested into it if we perform or something like that. And and then you can see like who's right, who's wrong, and not just people who cherry pick. Oh, I invested in this one thing and it's done great, but they don't tell you about the five losers they had. Here it's like all on the record what you what you picked and then you know you can see like the gallo index uh i think it's amazing so you want to talk about some of your ideas uh yeah sure uh which one do you want to do so uh have you heard about this phantom secure thing i thought this was pretty sweet no so um okay so there was this story the other day about the fbi had this huge crackdown on criminals and i was like okay that's interesting tell me about it and so i was reading it and in there they were talking about this um the story. Okay, so there was this app called Phantom Secure. Okay. And what Phantom Secure was, it was marketed basically as a as an app that you can use if you don't want, you know, anybody to to see what you're writing here, right? So obviously criminals are like, "Hey, that's interesting. I I'd rather write there than on Gmail, right? Where where my stuff is stored on a server somewhere and, and I can get, you know, those those records can be get subpoenaed or whatever." And so Phantom Secure at its peak had 20,000 users. Um it would made $80 million off those 20,000 users. So just for How? like math, because uh, you would pay to use it, right? Because for you, you're like, this is a business tool for me. If I'm a criminal, uh, I need secure messaging. I'll pay for this. And so they were making $4,000 per user. And just for like comparison, WhatsApp makes like $2 per user. So, you know, $4,000 per user was, it's like an enterprise product for criminals. But why were they paying for that versus like the other things like Telegram or whatever it is? Because this was even more secure. What you were you're getting here is you're not just getting an app. You're getting a phone that has been wiped. All the uh, all the a- other apps are gone. There's only a secure messaging app on the phone. That secure messaging app will self-destruct under certain conditions if you're like you know oh arrested or you trigger it or whatever. Somebody misses up, messes up the password three times. So it's a like it's a burner device designed for criminal communications. CTO gets arrested. Um, the only way you could even get into the app was through referral, right? So, so this thing existed. They arrested the guy, and criminals were like, "Oh shit, we don't have this app anymore." So the FBI, the, these I don't know, the story is like these two detectives were out to lunch one day, and they're like, "Why don't we create another Phantom Secure?" But we own the thing, we own the back channel. So they created this app called Anon, like anonymous, and they put it on twelve thousand phones. It to, and they let it be out there for 18 months for criminals to use and start to trust and refer other criminals onto it. And the whole time, every message is going to the FBI's six secure servers, uh, but they just waited. They just let the thing spread like a virus all throughout the criminal organizations, and then they just took everybody down. And I was like, that is a badass story. How did you, you know, find that? Props. I don't know. I saw the story and I just clicked it. It's, it's amazing. So do you think, okay, so I think that I actually think this is an amazing idea, by the way. It sucks that 
people were using it that way. But I, I think it's an amazing idea. Kind of like Silk Road is like an amazing idea where it's like, yeah, like it's cool to create like a marketplace where you can sell anything, but it's kind of shitty. Like I don't right. want to support anything where like, right. you know. Who are the people that want a marketplace that will sell them anything, even different stuff than I can sell on eBay? Oh, maybe, right. you know, drug dealers and like you know, assassins it's like, and weapons it's dealers. Like, I'm not like in favor of actually everything. You know, I'm not actually a, a true libertarian because I do think that like some stuff should be illegal, right? Right. Um, but I am incredibly bullish on things like, what's it called? Uh, so there's DuckDuckGo. Do you see DuckDuckGo? They just yeah. took took a bunch of funding. Oh, I didn't see that, no. Yeah, they sold $100 million worth of um, uh, secondary shares and they're doing over $100 million in revenue. Right. And then also, do you know Proton? Is it called Proton Mail? Right. The, the sort oh, of why are you laughing at me? I say it funny? No, no, no. I'm like, I haven't heard. So the funny thing is, all these ideas I remember hearing about, like DuckDuckGo, Six years ago, I remember reading about it, being like, "Oh, that's kind of weird." Like, I thought it was like, cute "Does anyone silly. care? Like, do people really care?" Oh no, it doesn't seem like they care. Move on. Proton Mail, Signal, all, all these apps, and then they were right. Their core insight, which is that people are going to care about privacy, people are going to care about not being tracked by big tech companies, not being advertised to, and they're going to care about not having their all their messages stored forever in a way that could get leaked or hacked and uh, you know you get canceled or you get your business secrets you know outed like Sony did right and so all those ended up being true and at the time for years they looked like non-winners the, people weren't really using them at the time I totally agree I thought it was stupid I'm like Dr. go what are you talking about now I uh, it's my it's my it's what I use you use Dr. go as your default uh, I, I use it often and I'm starting to right. use it as default yeah and um, do you use Brave? Because Brave is the new one that I think fits into this category. Brave browser. No, I haven't yet because switching from Chrome is shockingly challenging. Right, but switching from anything, switching from mail, messaging—they're all—they're all a bit. Well, challenging. Google's a bit easier. Is it? Why? Like Sur- switching my search thing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could probably get good results on Bing or Google. I mean, I—I—I'm I, just really trying to go to the Wikipedia or Quora or Facebook or Twitter. Right. Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that uh, private browsing, basically, you know, like a, a brave, brave or a brave like company, five years from now, we're going to look at it and it's going to be just like DuckDuckGo or Signal um, in that like it just takes over slowly but surely. I agree. And I think that 10 years from now, we're going to say like, I can't believe you used to use X, Y, and Z right. and you would just do that. Like right. that's shocking to me. Right. I, you, I think- you used to just give up your location to, to, to anybody to be advertised to, right? You used to... Like Alexa, right? You used to just have like a hot mic on in your house all the time, right? So those, those are going to seem like strange, strange and situations like that we were okay with. That, that's the inflection. So the other day, if you didn't listen, we had this guy named Mike Maples on and he was kind of a genius. And he was, he talked about inflections and he's like, what I, I invest in early stage stuff and it's pretty impossible to predict what's going to be big. So I try to use some frameworks and I just basically think like, you know, what, interesting things, what interesting inflections are going to happen in 10 years that's going to make X, Y, and Z possible, but it's not possible right now. And I'm going to try and get into it. So like, for example, uh, Uber, what made it possible was everyone started having really great phones that had GPSs in it. Without those GPSs, it would have been very challenging to do this. Right. And one of those inflections that I believe to be true, and I'm trying to put my money where my mouth is and invest stuff like it, is this privacy thing. I believe that that, I believe that to be true. I believe that's going to be a big thing coming up. I don't know who's going to win or what the uh, what the end result right. will look like, but I but believe you know in what the to look trend. For. Right, right. You know what to look for, and you know what's going to look strange now. Right. We talked about Guardian, that app on your phone that like is like a auto VPN for for your mobile apps. Brave browser, I think, fits into that. You know, when Mike Maples was on, he said something really fast that I thought was actually super insightful that we didn't really go into. He goes, he goes every like kind of era of tech, um, the old valuable thing becomes like completely commoditized and there becomes a new valuable thing. So what does that mean? So he goes, you know, back when it was like, at first you were selling PCs and all the money to be made was in the hardware. And then you had like Microsoft and others basically come up and they're like, cool, IBM, you be the hardware, we're going to be the software. And then like all the money shifted from being made in the hardware to the hardware became completely commoditized and all the money was made in software applications. And then it was like, oh, software applications are, for, or, you know, like where all the money's made. And then people started making services like Google and Facebook. It's like, wait, it's a free software application? So then how do you make money? It's like, because data is the valuable thing. You don't realize that, right? Microsoft doesn't realize that. They're going to charge you for the software. We're going to give away free software, but we're going to make all the money on the data. And it's like, okay, great. 
And the shift that's happening now is that data is the thing that makes money. We're going to make our data open, open source. We're going to make our blockchain open. Anybody can build on top of it. And uh, we're going to go open data. So then where's all the money to be made? And then you have like kind of like a new answer that comes after that. And so I thought that was like such a spot on observation. And it's like, that's how you observe. That's how the next, you know, $100 billion, $500 billion company looks nothing like the last one. And if you're just looking to match what's the next Microsoft, you're never going to think it's Facebook, this college social network that's free, right? You're never going to think it's Google, this search engine that's free. You're going to think it's supposed to look more like, more like Microsoft, this like enterprise paid software thing. But no, it keeps switching because they, they react to it in that way. And so uh, like, that's why, you know, I got kind of made fun of when I was talking about BitCloud, but BitCloud, I think, is an example of this where they took the most valuable part of Facebook and Twitter, which is the, the social graph and the data that's, un, that's underneath it. And they were like, nope, that's going to be freely available. Anybody can take our data. You can make a better version of BitCloud. You can, like, you can make a new skin, make a new client. You can make a fork off this. Um, the data is all open, open chain, which Facebook would never give you access to their database that shows you every person, their photos, and their friends. You can never get access like that. It's their most prized possession. And BitCloud basically says, that's now free. Instead, we're going to make our money on these creator coins, right? It's a different method. I think that you've said a lot of amazing stuff for the past two years. I think this little rant right here might be the most like not valuable in the sense of like whenever you talk about like fluffy bullshit that's useful of like I need Being to have happy. confidence. <laughs> yeah, like that is useful. I call it fluffy, but it's incredibly useful. Right. I think what you just said right there actually might be one of the most valuable rants in terms of just money that you've ever said. I think that um I think that I do not have the ability to build pretty much any of the things that you're discussing. I don't you might have the ability, but I certainly don't. I don't think you do either. But I think that if you are listening to this and you think you have the ability to do some of this, some of this stuff, I think like there, you, we've very clearly just said a, a thesis of what like the world's going to be like in ten years, and I would bet my own personal money that that actually is going to be true. And I think it's going to be um, not just true a little, but like true a, a significant amount. Right, and there's not just one trend happening at once, right? Like I remember talking to, to Alex too, the founder of Calm. And he just believed that like mindfulness and being and you know calm and meditation was going to become a bigger thing. And there was multiple years where it was not getting, it was not growing very fast because it wasn't a thing. And then sure enough, people started to feel really fatigued with technology. They started to feel really busy and constantly on and the mobile phone was too much. And then, wow, there's this app that like is actually designed not for me to constantly use it and check it, keep checking the notifications over and over and over again. This app is to calm me down and mindfulness and mental health became a thing. And it's like, yeah, mental health became a thing and he was prepared. He was ready with a solution for that that he had been baking for years. Yeah, so I, I think it's bullish or not bullish. I think it's amazing. I think it's gonna be a thing. You wanna do a couple more? You wanna do this Chick-fil-A thing? So I read this, I read this blog post or this article that the Chick-fil-A tech team put out and um, if I'm not the biggest Chick-fil-A customer, I'm top five easily in the country. So, uh, you know, so anything Chick-fil-A, I'm going to read. And what they were talking about was like Chick-fil-A using AI, machine learning, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, let me see what this is, some bullshit. And I started reading it. It was actually pretty interesting. First of all, 90% of it was just over my head. But I thought it was pretty fascinating. What they were saying, well, first two things. They kind of like, they put their stake in the ground, which I appreciate. They go, Chick-fil-A is you know a restaurant that's sort of different than others we're only open six days a week but we do more sales than people that are open seven days a week and i was like thing to say. i was like baller like strive to be chick-fil-a you know like i want to be the chick-fil-a i want to work less and make more uh than somebody who's working more and the, the other you know the other thing i thought about was like a lot of people hate chick-fil-a because they're like kind of like overly christian and like have like they're like anti-gay marriage and stuff like that um and I'm like, oh, that sucks. But like this chicken is so good. I'm going to eat here. I, you know, like the chicken wins in the well, end. What I would always say, it's like, I can like R. Kelly's voice, but not like him. <laughs> like I can admit that right. I believe I can fly is like a banger and also right. say he's a horrible human being. Also, you're not invited to my daughter's birthday party. Yeah. Like I can do both. <laughs> it is possible to do both. And so with Chick-fil-A, it's like, I want to stuff my mouth with chicken and then be like, you guys, you guys are wrong. You know, like that's how I want to be. So anyways, I'm... I'm like, you want to be like Chick-fil-A, a product so good that you can actually be batshit crazy or even offensive and still the person who disagrees with you, they need your product. It's that good. It's must have. So then they were talking about their tech and they were like, well, 
our stores, when we designed them, we thought they were only going to handle like, let's say, just for simplicity's sake, 100 orders, 100 customers a day or whatever. But the actual usage, the demand is so high for Chick-fil-A that we get three times more output than the store was designed for. And he's like, so how do we do that? Right? Once you design the store, it's kind of, it's already built. You can't really go back and change it. So we've had to use technology to get 3x the output that the thing was designed to do. He goes, so the first thing we tried to do was, can we like predict demand better, right? So if you want to pump orders out faster, instead of waiting till after the order happens, I should, I should just say, hey, there's always a lunch rush at noon. So I'm going to throw a bunch of fries in and I'm just going to know that I get this much demand. He goes, but the problem is there's too many variables. You know, a soccer game ends nearby. You get a rush of customers. The weather changes and that, that causes a dip in customers. Um, you know, there's too much traffic on the highway. That causes a dip. So it's too unpredictable. You can't just say Fridays at noon are always going to have this much demand. Um, too many external variables. But he goes, so what we did do instead was we put like hundreds of sensors inside of a store so that in real time, I'm basically taking the, you know, like the order as the person's typing it into the to the machine. And that's, that's uh, being matched with a sensor that tells us how active the fry machine is. And then it gives a signal to the worker to basically like, hey, dude, put more fries in. There's going to be more demand or whatever, right? Like they're taking all these signals and how many people are in the drive-through times this, times that, and basically making predictions of what do they need to make so that they can get that extra 20% of orders done per hour for throughput. And so I thought this was kind of interesting and I don't even fully understand the model and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, um, what's like, it's not like mansplaining, I'm like dumbsplaining. Like the thing I just said is not actually what they do, but it's, the essence of what they do, uh, which is they take a whole, they have a hundred cent, hundred like sort of smart devices well, that's in their like store. What this whole podcast is is we just said Don't like oh, <laughs> they just they just it just it just bump boxes. All they do is they just sell shit that like I mean need. That's all. Right. Probably, they're not like expert at Facebook ads or experts at like deal making right. for like supply chain stuff. I mean they just do that. Right. <laughs> so so the point is there's like a hundred smart devices in a Chick Fil A that are feeding into a machine learning algorithm to put something out there so that a frontline worker who makes, I don't know, $16 an hour is able to be more effective and they're able to get more source, more sales per square foot. And so I started thinking like, first of all, I had no idea that like kind of old school companies like Chick-fil-A are that deep into like adding technology into their stores and their services. And it made me think too, for of two ideas. The first is, those people should spin, the engineers working on that should spin out of Chick-fil-A and then go offer this as a service to every other restaurant. It's basically like, hey, Chick-fil-A spent $50 million over the last five years developing the technology to make their store smarter. Um, so we generalized it and it's a product for you, right? That's my, my old export framework. They should export this idea from Chick-fil-A and make it available to any, any restaurant chain. Um, so that's like the first idea. The second idea is, what are the companies that are like McKinsey or like a consulting company? Because I assume Chick-fil-A, when they go out in the job market, they're trying to hire machine learning and AI engineers. I bet they're finding it pretty hard to compete with like Google and Facebook and OpenAI and all these other companies. Like who, what, what great engineer is going to work for Chick-fil-A, right? Like, I think you'd be surprised. Um, you know who, who crushed it with um, tech stuff or relatively speaking was Walmart. Um, Walmart right. had this amazing thing called the Walmart Innovation Lab in Silicon Valley. Yep. It was pretty sick. And I went to, um, I was reading the other day about the mo most beloved brands amongst young people. And it's like uh, Target. What was, it's like Vans, <laughs> Starbucks, uh, one other one. And like the number one most loved brand is Chick fil A. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think, maybe I some think people, maybe some Stanford graduate. Is going to work for Chick Fil A, and it, they're cutting against the grain. But I think most people are going to go towards more traditional brands, which really told me the way most companies are going to solve this is not by having as much in-house tech talent as consultants that basically take good tech talent, but like hyper hypercharge them to get them to go faster. And so I'm curious. I bet this exists, but I'm curious who's building like a McKinsey type of company, like a badass consulting company that is only tech consulting. It's hardcore engineer it's engineering specifically around like the new age stuff of machine learning and ai and i think that you could build a new mckenzie deloitte pwc that is basically when your company needs 
tech, when your company needs tech answers, you basically hire this high price consulting firm that comes in. And these guys are not suits that are great talkers. These are, and make great pitch decks. These are engineers who come in and they actually build uh, and they teach your team how to build and they build themselves. Wouldn't I know that venture or all these guys offer that, you think? They do offer it, but I think their brand is not branded as this. And so right. I think there's an opportunity to come in and say, we dress differently, we talk differently, we don't even do, we don't have these 10 other offerings that McKinsey has. We are actually the best. If you really want to hire the best when it comes to engineering, you know, all of our guys are straight out of Facebook, Google, Stanford, Harvard. Uh, that's our crew. And these, everybody's got a computer science degree. You know, this is our CEO. Look, he's a nerd. He's got Cheeto dust on his shirt. Like, that's who you're dealing with here. Um, whereas today, I know that McKinsey and others are like offering, offering these as part of their services. And in, in addition to like tax planning and like 10 other things that they're going to do, you know, like financial audits and like other shit. So I think there's an opportunity to create like a big four type of consulting company if you just went all in on engineers. I'm on I, I'm on board. I think it's cool. I, I think that any engineer who's smart, though, would never want to start this business because that would be hard as fuck. But I do think that um, there's so many cool things that started as agencies that eventually they create their own software and it becomes badass. So for example, I do think it would be cool to do this for 5, 10 years and then eventually just make the software and you could become... It, it would be a really easy way or not easy, straightforward way to have a bootstrap software company. So have you ever heard of Consensus? No, what is it? So Consensus is a... Uh, it's, it's, a it's a version of this. Um, it's in the crypto space. So it was started by this guy, Joe Lubin, who was like one of the first kind of like six guys backing uh, Ethereum. So he Got was it. like, on he, it, yeah. he was like Ethereum pre-launch. I think he was one of the main funding sources. Essentially, he came from the finance world, and uh, he believed in in Ethereum. And so he he's known as one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Guy basically became a billionaire off of Ethereum. Takes the billion, he he takes that. He basically spins off Ethereum launches, and instead of sticking with the Ethereum Foundation, he creates Consensus. Consensus is like we have an office in New York, L.A., Shanghai, whatever, right? Like Tokyo, whatever. They like kind of a traditional consulting model, and um. But they weren't just doing consulting. But what they do is they they had like in-house projects. So for example, MetaMask, which is like the most popular Ethereum wallet, I think, that's built into a browser, uh, was like either incubated there or they like kind of like found the guy who built it and brought him into consensus. And, and that was one of their projects. Um, but they basically, they make like, they'll go to like MasterCard or Visa and be like, you guys keep hearing about blockchain, right? Don't you need like, just a group of blockchain like specialists who can come and teach your company how how you should be using blockchains and we'll consult with you that we'll build projects for you and like we'll be kind of this like hybrid like agency incubator consulting company type of thing and they do like i think they said they forecasted like 60 million of revenue in 2021 um now i should say i personally think consensus is kind of a shitty company they hired like a thousand people uh, i don't think they had like the business fundamentals to support any of that um, you know, so, so I don't think consensus itself is gonna be that successful, but that's an example of somebody who said, cool, all of the fortune 500 is interest is curious and interested in this new age technology. We can brand ourselves as the like de facto group of, if you're a big fortune 500, come talk to us about blockchain. Dude, and we'll I'm looking up this, this consensus company is fucking nuts. Started just recently, right? Oh no, 2014. No. Yeah. Sorry. Right after Ethereum. They do. Did this guy Joseph Lubins help create Ethereum? Yeah, like I said, he he was basically one of the big kind of like financial backers early on, and kind of helped when they were pre-launch. He was involved when there was like you know, this group of seven or eight people that were helping build it, and they each had a different Dude, role. The amount so of wealth that this shit is creating in such a short time is crazy. Do, do like do you know that one guy? Um, Okay, so what was that Disney movie called? Like the Secret Service Kid or uh, the First Kid? You remember First Kid? <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know where you're you going with this. Okay, you you remember that movie? You remember the kid actor? Uh, I don't remember him. Like oh, he was oh, also man. in the in see. the movie um, Mighty Ducks. Oh, which one was he in Mighty Ducks? Um, I don't actually know what he was in Mighty. What the name was, but his name's Brock Pierce. Okay. Do you know who Brock Pierce is? He's also in Sinbad. Yeah, well, no, Sinbad was the uh, the the lead secret. He's service the security thing. guard first kid. Okay, yeah, do you oh, remember? I remember you're... this movie. I love this movie. Yeah, it's great, right? Okay, yeah. this guy's name is Brock Pierce. He's a Bitcoin billionaire now. What? Yeah, dude, Google Brock Pierce. So he was a kid. Oh, he by was the in... way, 
in Mighty Ducks, he plays young Gordon Bombay. So he's not one of the the kids. He's he's the flashback of Gordon Bombay as a kid. <laughs> yeah, but he was like a, a well known actor. Like he was in um, First Kid was a thing. He was in Little Big League. He just did all like the nineties like kid movies. Kid movies, yeah. Every movie. You, I everyone, loved. If you if you are born in um, in the eighties, you recognize who this kid is. If you're thirty one like me and Sam, then you uh... <laughs> <laughs> you recognize who this guy is. Dude, Google him. He's a bit. He, he's worth like a billion dollars. That's hilarious. You'll recognize him. He's got. He's a Bitcoin crypto guy. He wears that stupid hat. It's <laughs> a stupid hat now. That's yeah, thing. Google. Like, go to images. Go get Brock oh, oh. Pierce. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see him. Is that's that? Funny. Yeah, he's that stupid hat, leather vest guy. Like, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. he wears. Like, he like goes to Puerto Rico. Guy. Dude, that guy is a is a billionaire now because he was in on crypto in like uh, 12, 13, 14. He's like, he's like, hey, I need it. I need all those royalties from the first kid. We're putting it into ETH. <laughs> We're putting it into the ETH crowd cell. Let's do this. It's just the amount of wealth that this is, has created and so quickly. It's just crazy. Um, it's just, it's fun. It's such a fun story. But Brock Pierce, the fucking first kid, Gordon Bombay <laughs> when he was a kid, whatever the guy's name was, he's a Bitcoin billionaire. Dude, he's, is that he's nutty? the Billy of the Week. That's it. Is He's that done nutty? two of Look my favorite guy. things. Two of my favorite but, things in my life were Mighty Ducks and Bitcoin. And uh, this guy's involved with both of them. Now, I don't know, but on, I read his Wikipedia the other day. He's got like some shady shit going on where, I mean, obviously, if you kind of look at him, he kind of screams shady. <laughs> but he like, his partner was like raping kids. I mean, it was pretty fucked up. And like, if your partner's doing that, I'm not saying you're guilty, but I'm saying like, you probably like are involved. Like, I, I just think that like, yeah, like where there's smoke, there's fire type of thing. It's kind of fucking weird to me. And uh, so there's like a t- this guy's got a lot of it, this guy's gonna be like the modern day McAfee, you know, like yeah, he's, McAfee. He's he like be- became a billionaire and then also like uh, like did some crazy shit in uh, Botswana or where the fuck he went. That's what this guy's gonna do. Wow. But anyway, Brock Pierce, crazy, right? That's crazy. Um, okay. By the way, I also have this like, little calculator in Excel that I should publish, which is: Will the Winklevoss get the Winklevoss twins get the last laugh? Which is, what does the price of Bitcoin need to be for them to end up wealthier than Mark Zuckerberg for taking uh, taking their idea and making Facebook? And uh, and then I thought about it, and I was like, I wonder if Zuck just owns some Bitcoin as a hedge to be like, you'll never, you'll never pass me. <laughs> but I, I don't think he's got that petty streak. I'm thinking about selling my Facebook stock because I think like I've totally done a 180 and I think Facebook's whack as fuck now. But uh, <laughs> why? It's just lame. Like who uses that now? I mean, Twitter's just kicking. It's just whack. <laughs> and Instagram, I think, is even stupid now. I love how you're like, who uses that? It's like a billion people could raise their hand and be like me every day, multiple times a day. I just think that um, it's just lame. I think TikTok is so much better and more positive. I like it more. Um, but I think that... Um, Zuck is someone I would never bet. Like I just think that he's just the greatest in terms of. Did you just, see the video of him spear hunting recently? No. What is he doing? Oh, dude, you got to Google this. Uh, Google Mark Zuckerberg spear, and there's this video. So he like went hunting or whatever, or he he went on a hunting trip. I think that might be separate. Then he's he's like at this little like kind of like a throwing range, and there's like a giant target, and then you see Mark Zuckerberg in slow mo running up at it with a spear and then launching the spear and getting a bullseye in the target. And it's just like, it's everything you would expect out of a Zuckerberg video, which is like, you know, two parts awkward robotic, one part like sort of fearsome and weird <laughs> at the same time. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I mean, this is just, yeah, wow. He got uh, it. By the I- way, you, you said TikTok, you should um, follow this TikTok account. It's amazing. It's called Vitalik doing things. So Vitalik, who's the co-founder of Ethereum, he's also like Zuck, like hilariously awkward. I really love the guy. I think he's like, when he talks, yeah, he might have like kind of an awkward way of talking, but I love his thoughts. I love his brain basically. And he seems like a very genuine guy. Um, He doesn't just like shill Ethereum and like crypto and say it's the best thing ever and all that. Like he's just like way more reasonable and clearly like mission driven. Um, I'm looking at it now. His story is kind of amazing, by the way. Like, was he, he like was, a like an adopted Russian kid or something? Do you do you know how this guy like got started in crypto? No. So he's 18 years old. He like discovers crypto. He he starts by just he agrees to write free article or write articles for Bitcoin magazine back when Bitcoin was like super underground at the time. And yeah, Bitcoin magazine paid him three dollars and fifty cents per article. 
And he's like writing all about Bitcoin and like all the cool things you're going to be able to do with cryptocurrencies. And he's just like a kid. And he used to like go to different crypto projects and meet them and be like, hey, I'd love to like help or like intern or like kind of like write about you guys. And he started just getting known as kind of like this little blogger boy. And then like little blogger boy goes on to like, he, he helped write the white paper for one idea uh, called Colored Coins that was like going to be for this other project. And then eventually decides like, you know what, like, I have all these ideas about how I think crypto could change the world. Like, I'm just going to make it myself. I'm going to make Ethereum. And so he invents Ethereum at like age 18 or 19 and like is the youngest crypto billionaire in the world um, since. Where does the name come from? Russia. What's that mean? Oh, no, the, the, Ether, the name Ethereum. Ethereum. Oh, I don't know why he named it Ethereum. Um, Ether is like, kind of like, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know if you know what Ether is. It's sort of like this... Um, it's like out of the ether. It's like this, like it's like the substance of the world. It's basically like I don't know how you describe ether. Really, it's like a, it's like matter. It's like it's like a word like matter uh, in the universe. And so I don't know why he called it ether. I think it was like, I don't know. I don't know the backstory. I shouldn't really speculate. Well, you should have figured that out. I thought you're like betting your life savings on this. Um, I saw. I took one look at this guy, and I was like, I'm gonna hitch my wagon to this nerd. This this guy's taking me to the top. I think that's a good. I think that's a good bet. To be honest, but the, but the TikTok channel Vitalik doing things is amazing comedy um, because he's just a, a very unintentionally comedic guy. Dan posted it, so he goes, "I immediately realized that I liked it better than all the other alternatives that I'd seen. I suppose it was the fact that it sounded nice and it had the word ether, referring to the hypothetical invisible medium that permeates the universe and allows light to travel." Right? Yeah, See, that's the guy you want to bet on. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I think that's the show, right? Yeah, that's it. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Life.